Welcome to the New Zealand Tech Podcast, presented by Paul Spain and guests. Welcome along to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. This is episode number 99. We're just about at the uh, at the top, just about at 100. Uh, I'm Paul Spain. I'm Paddy Buckley. And Nate Dunn. Welcome along, guys. Good to uh, good to have you both here. And Paddy, uh, welcome. Uh, this is your first time. That's right. First time here, Paul. Thanks a lot for having me. Great. Now, uh, Paddy, you uh, tell us what your what your role is and uh, your your about your company. So I am managing director of QuickFlix in NZ. Uh, so QuickFlix is uh, our first subscription movie service, uh, online movies and TV. Uh, do you want me to keep talking? Um, we will we come we, back to that we'll later. Come, we'll come back to that. Let's come back um, to that. But yeah, we have talked a little bit about uh, Quick Flicks on the on the NZ Tech podcast before, and of course um, Netflix, which is the US service, w- which many people can probably relate you to as well. Um, but let let's jump in. There's uh, there's a bunch to uh, to to get through. Uh, first up, I wanted to talk about uh, Samsung's launch last week in Sydney. Uh, I was there for the uh, the launch of the Galaxy Note 2 and the Galaxy Camera. Now we've been having a little bit of a look at the uh, the Galaxy Note uh, tonight. Um, impressions, guys. I mean, one of the ones I think I think I picked from from both of you was that uh, you're both using a, a Galaxy S3, and yeah. there's there's sort of a size sort of thing in terms of what you're what you're both comfortable with. Where, where do you think the um, the Note 2 sort of fits in? Well. I've just um, got rid of my S2 because it broke and upgraded to an S3, which, and I far prefer the form factor of the S2. The S3, in my mind's probably just a fraction too big. And to be honest, the original version of the Samsung uh, Galaxy Note is just, I, I, to me, it reminds me of using, you know, Sesame Street where they've got the massive, ridiculously oversized phones where they've got to sort of move it to, to listen and talk. I think it's good for browsing and everything, but I do have a bit of a chuckle. I've got a few clients that have got them, and I have a bit of a chuckle watching them talk on it because I just think they're humongous. Um, having said that, Beautiful phone screens, nice and bright, fantastic. But probably my personal opinion is it's just too big. Well, a five point five inch screen. I mean, it, it blows everything else out of the water. In fact, if we can, I did a comparison today to the iPhone four uh, S, and the amount of screen coverage that you've got here is uh, is about double that on you know compared to the original iPhone in terms of the screen real estate. In fact, possibly slightly more, uh, and maybe fifty or sixty percent more than the than the iPhone five. So it, it is a yeah, humongous is probably a good word to uh, to describe the screen. I guess the other thing is it depends what you're what you're using your device for. So you know, in the case of of say you're watching video on it, um, you know, the bigger the screen, the better, obviously. Um, but the other thing that's interesting is that the the media didn't take that well, I guess, to the original Note, but it sold a bucket load of of. Of, of units. Though. Yeah, I think uh, you know it's one it's one of the nice um, you know things that we're starting to see now as there's there's such uh, such competition amongst the, the the tech vendors and particularly the smartphone and tablet vendors that you know and and they're selling so well that there's room to come up with slightly more niche products like the Note, uh, which isn't suit you know isn't going to suit everyone. But there's an audience that actually would like to have some of those tablet capabilities with them, yeah. and and are happy for a phone that more sort of, uh, you know, uh, lends itself to to doing those sort of you know, functions. Obviously, having the uh, handwriting recognition built in with the, um, you know, with with the S Pen from, um, uh, you know, which is similar to the the pen in their, uh, uh, you know, tablets, whether they're the Windows or the Android ones. Um, yeah. So. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I think um, you know this is it's good it's good to see them you know iterating and keeping coming through with uh, with new versions. Now the other product that they launched, which I was I, f- I found quite uh, quite cool actually, was a Galaxy camera, uh, which is basically a really nice little uh, point and shoot camera uh, that is uh, I think sixteen megapixels and a twenty one time zoom, uh, but it's got Android built into it. It's got full three G capabilities, so on the go you can take really you know really nice photos uh and then be uploading those on the fly to twitter facebook you know whatever medium i th- you know i think for a, uh you know someone that's involved in sort of you know covering various events and wanting to get content online that's quite a natural fit because it's just you know streets ahead of the sort of uh you know pictures that we've traditionally been able to uh you know tweet from our from our smartphones what um what do you guys think? Any um any interest in that sort of product? I suppose having Android on the camera means you've got a familiar, you know, the way it's laid out, the icons and everything, and the way you step through settings and everything. So, Mike's and I'm not a massive camera um, user, but my experience with the camera, or well, the one I've got, is the menus tend to be very. They tend to make really good hardware, but the the sort of software running them and the way that the menu structure seems to be a bit of an afterthought, and settings are all over the place. So. Certainly having Android and having that must be one of the first cameras to have 3G and Wi-Fi. I'm yeah, assuming. I think. I mean, these two products, I think, are you know, are quite uh, you know innovative offerings from from Samsung. They're not something that we're sort of seeing others in the market doing doing something similar. I know there are Wi-Fi cameras out there, but yeah, this is the first 3G-based one. I think it's got um, 4G as well, by the way. That not more, okay, that, that's going to be that relevant yet for us down here. But well, that helps with uploading big photos. The uh, the photo samples, and I should put some of these up online because uh, I took quite a few photos uh both at the launch event and uh and and visiting samsung's um uh S- sydney um sort of you know showroom um store um with one they're, they're sort of averaging that you know default was about five megs per image um so yeah not going to take too long to uh you know to upload unless you're you're you know obviously shooting uh, video on the like that's going to be a bit of a challenge to uh, potentially do over 3g so yeah lte and and, and 4g which we know is uh, is going to be coming really from all the carriers here in new zealand um once, once that works itself out over the next you know, couple of years or so will be uh, will help the other interesting thing about this though is that we've seen over the last few years we've seen smartphones dominating the point and shoot market and this is like the opposite happening now so this is now a camera uh you know with with 3g 4g android um it's just the opposite of what what we've been getting used to. So yeah, it'd be really interesting uh, to see if it... It's interesting. I think, you know, this is another sign that there is room for companies to make plenty of money with, again, niche-type products that aren't going to sell 50 million units. But, you know, this might sell, I don't know, some million. Uh, you know, it, it could, uh, you know, could do reasonably well for them. Um, and... Yeah, it's it's different to what else is in the market. I guess if we had lots and lots of vendors all releasing these, um, yeah, the the competition might mean that it's hard for any of them to make money. But uh, I think Samsung have kind of got that uh, that recognition for doing some quite nice uh, stuff, particularly with Android, uh, that that they're likely to get a reasonable number of sales. So it's crazy. Like think about the Samsung products I've got, like tablet, phone, TV, printer, screens, just. I might You're as well, a real fanboy. I might as well just get a Samsung tattoo, to be honest. I've got a something We can get microwave. that hooked up down K Road for you uh, after the show. Oh, yeah, there you go. Thanks, but no thanks. Something right. fridge? Yeah, they've got appliances as well now, cameras. It's yeah, just I mean, they, they are doing some... Take it over. They're doing some interesting... Now, uh, talking of um, 
South Korean companies. There's a there's another one. Um, LG is South Korean as well, aren't they? Um, so I've just been uh, this evening. Just been at uh, at LG's launch for their new 84 inch Ultra HD TV. Uh, and and you mentioned fridges, and they also launched um, some funky new fridges as well. Uh, but it was the the 84 inch Ultra HD TV that uh, that stood out to me. And is this the four K? Yeah, so this I... is the this is the four K or yeah Ultra HD as the the resolution, otherwise known as four K, was what they w- were calling it up until I think it's just been officially uh, they've just you know officially um, started calling them Ultra HD in the last uh, few weeks, I believe. So it's uh, it's four times the resolution of the HD screens that we have today, and the size of this uh, you know the panel on this this TV is is literally the equivalent of four. 42 inch uh you know tvs so it's it's huge it looks stunning um and that with that sort of high definition obviously you know really good detail regardless of how how close you uh, you get to it not quite as big as what my projector can do but the obviously the advantage of a tv is you can use it you know day or night and and it you know it's just always going to look uh look pretty good and uh, you know it certainly does one of the limitations really at the moment though is the content resolution that we've got right uh yeah we were talking about this earlier patty um there just isn't a whole lot of content that's available in that 4k uh resolution at the moment is there yeah i think that's right i think that's you know the blu-ray blu-ray discs you know only a only um you know a quarter of the resolution uh at the moment so it's going to be quite some time before we really see a whole lot of content that will can really take advantage of it but i guess one of the you know the functions that these uh tvs do is doing you know doing upscaling and they certainly help you know help the picture to to look good at those bigger sizes but uh nice to see i the price off the top of my head is somewhere in the 35k dollar direction uh i don't know if i've got exact uh, i think that would be pricing here is that because uh, it my understanding is that um now Sony announced their one just a couple of weeks ago, which I understand is also based off the um, the, the panel that is made by LG. Uh, can you remember how much that one was, Nate? You were at that one. Well, if I can just do some blatant self-promotion, I blogged. It was actually about a month ago now. I blogged about going, being invited to go to Sony's launch um, on Ponsonby Road at their headquarters there, and we got to see their 4K TV, which was also 84 inch. And as I said in my blog, it really is hard to give this screen justice. It it really is. If you can imagine what how you felt when you saw a, a standard TV and then went to HD, or even when you went from the LCD panel to an LED panel, imagine that again when you look at a, a 4K screen. It is just mind blowing. The, the color resolution. It's the, yeah. There's no players that'll do it. When we saw it at Sony's uh, headquarters, they said they were streaming it off a, um, a server because the blue there was no Blu-ray players or anything that would do it. Mm-hmm. And they and you know when you were saying about upscaling, they showed us a Blu-ray player that they'd upscaled and it actually looked rubbish. And this is a blue you know a Blu-ray player, blue, Blu-ray player. Well, it's a huge amount of it's a huge amount of data to deal with, isn't exactly. it? Exactly. And if we think of even the uh, the HDMI cables that we use to connect uh, to our TVs at the moment, HDMI doesn't support those sort of resolutions. You know, full HD and 3D. Uh, and with some other bits and pieces going on across the wire is, is kind of the you know the limit of those you know connections at the moment. So there's certainly a few challenges with making all this stuff work. But it's nice to see that we're at the forefront of technology here in New Zealand. These things are being uh, you know being announced and and you know and becoming available at the 
at the high end rather than us having to wait sort of you know five years to see anything but uh, it's still I guess uh, a year or two off before this stuff's going to really get to a, a mainstream level particularly at that sort of price point yeah the, the Sony one I was just going back to my blog said well it was 30 that was 35 grand and um what was the other thing I was going to say sorry and with the they had a 60 inch top of the line LED and it just looked rubbish compared to this 84 so if anyone wants to buy me one I'd be more than happy to accept their donation of 35 grand Thank, thanks for that offer, Nate. You're um, welcome. I'm sure people will be will oh, be falling queuing, over queuing, queuing up after the show. Uh, now, another, um, I guess, lo- uh, local sort of uh, tech tech happenings. Um, our um, one of our supermarkets has been um, uh, offering new ways to uh, to buy uh, goodies for Christmas. I uh, actually haven't seen this. So I'm and and so um, um, so this was reported by the um, uh, the the Herald. Uh, and uh, they showed a uh, a picture of a of a bus stop, um, and uh, the uh, I guess the image attached to the back of the bus stop was basically like you know piles of of Christmas goodies, and you can actually scan the uh, uh, the barcodes off them on your uh, on your phone, and uh, and go ahead and um, do an on place an online order for these uh, bits and pieces. Is this going to take off? We've seen this. Uh, we saw. I think it was in Japan that we saw this sort of thing um, earlier on uh, in the year, and they sort of started that sort of mechanism where you know if you're uh, sitting at a uh, yeah train station waiting for the next train, you could spend a couple of minutes and go through and pick your groceries and and uh, and and place your order with a sort of virtual uh, you know gross, grocery store. You just walk up and and scan against the uh, bits and bits and pieces that you want. So maybe you pick a. Uh, turkey for uh, Christmas dinner and you scan that pick a few other things and uh, yeah you don't have to think about going to the supermarket is this something that we really need or is this just kind of you know fun promotional stuff for them and making use of technology to get a little bit of um, uh, you know a little bit of attention out there for doing something different I think it is fun stuff maybe they should concentrate on stopping people scanning well, what's the biggest drama at the moment scanning the cheaper tomatoes when they're getting the more expensive ones and ripping off through the stuff self-service checkout it's been all over the news the last couple of days it's ridiculous but um i think japan does lead the way with all sorts of quirky things and hopefully over time they sort of filter down and we'll get it um we are sort of getting to the forefront with using mobile look at the um and i can't is it was it telecom no not wasn't telecom it was two degrees and snapper that had the um near field communication the nfc and stuff the, uh, yep and the galaxy s3 and so on which was maybe well must be like six months ago now so yeah, yep. That's been it's been quite a while since that's been uh, that's been available. So yeah, I, th- I mean, I think we're going to see more and more of these, uh, you know, uh, different u- differing uses of of technology. Would you use Would you um, shop that way, Patty? Look, I'd, I guess I'd think about it if it had all the things that I wanted. I'd be pretty concerned that you know if I wanted to get something that's a bit a bit out of the ordinary, it's just not going to be there, and then you're in a sort of no man's land where you can get some of your stuff, but not. Not some of the other yeah, stuff. Yeah, you could probably want, go you know. in and search for it and so on. But yeah, uh, yeah, I, I think it, you know, it's just it's just interesting to see uh, you know local companies trying out these different things, just seeing what the response is, and and uh, you know, even if it's just a, a gimmick, I think it's a bit of fun. So uh, I'm with you. I yeah, think I think it's no, fun. No I think, uh, yeah, I'd be interested to see what happens. Uh, now we had on our list um, to chat a little bit about quick flicks and. Uh, Paddy, since you're here, uh, as uh, as MDF Quick Flicks, that's quite convenient. You may know Isn't something it about it. Yeah, well, mm. a little bit maybe. Yeah. So um, now, first up, the news uh, we I think I think we sort of talked about for a little while, but it finally um, 
um, came through last week was uh, Quickflix app is now on uh, on the Xbox 360. That is correct. Yeah, uh, and we've just been having a play around with it. Yeah, uh, b- b- before the show. Yeah. Um. So. Tell us, the app is now on, you can get it, you know, as well as through the browser, we yep. can now watch, um, you know, QuickFlix um, subscription movies and TV programs also through Samsung TVs. So we're on, we're on Samsung Smart Hub, so it's TVs, yep. Blu-ray players, home theatre systems. So we're actually, for Samsung, we're only on the 2012 models at the moment. Yep. 2010 and 11 are coming in the next couple of weeks, hopefully. Yep. Uh, and then we're on Sony Bravia. Okay. Same, same again, not just the TVs, but the, the Blu-ray players. Uh, and Panasonic Vieira Connect, so same idea there, Blu-rays and, and home PlayStation systems. as well. PlayStation as well, we're on the yep. cross-media bar there, uh, so Xbox you've just mentioned, and um, and we're on iOS, so iPad, incredibly popular, uh, but also iPhone and iPod Touch and stuff, and then uh, Samsung Mobile, so Samsung Galaxy and Samsung Smartphones, Samsung Galaxy Smartphones and Tablets, yeah. I should say. Okay, so, uh, that's pretty so, cool. Yeah, coverage is increasing. I mean, for us, the name of the game is about expanding our addressable market. And uh, I don't have exact figures for Xbox, but uh, 200 and something thousand units, I reckon, in New Zealand. So, um, you know, and, and the, the interesting thing about, um, about the games consoles is that um, very high connectivity rate. So it's one of the issues for us. Our content is delivered online. And, uh, uh, you know, we, we've got apps embedded on the TVs and all the rest of it, but some of those TVs aren't yet connected. And, uh, you know, with, with the games consoles, it's a, you've got a much higher connectivity rate because the gamers are out there shooting each other all around the world in the middle of the night. And, uh, you know, yeah, they're all they're uh, all they're online, all, aren't they? Exactly. And, and, right. And in fact, I, no, I noticed when I fired up the Xbox with uh, with, with my New Zealand account uh, earlier that right on the screen there, it was promoting, uh, you know, quick flicks. So yeah. I guess you guys are reasonably happy about that sort of, yeah, uh, we are. you know, that, that sort of coverage. It's yeah, obviously yeah. promoting your brand, promoting yeah. what you do. Yeah. Um, now, and, and one of the things here, you know, here on the, on the NZ tech podcast, you know, we are, um, we are really, you know, keen about is using the internet, using technologies to be able to access content, uh, in easier and, and new ways. And, you know, we've talked a lot about how to get hold of, uh, Netflix and some, you know, subscribe to those types of US based services, which is really a lot of hoops to jump through. Um, now what you've done with um, what you've done with Quickflix is really to deliver that type of service where we can get access to movies and TV programs but it's becoming very easy for New Zealanders to to be able to hook into that without millions of hoops to uh, um, you know to jump through right yeah look that's exactly right and um, you know we're working hard to make make the services compelling as possible in terms of the content and all the rest of it but when you take a step back and you look at the technology you know our plan is to as I say get on as many devices as we can because that increases the address market and uh, I saw actually t- just today NZ Statistics has um, published some, some figures and I think uh, was it 96% of, of all broadband users are over 1.5 megabits per second which is the speed you need to stream, stream our content mm. so uh, you know we're basically there for, for everyone with broadband uh, and you know, I think there's a, there's actually a whole lifestyle uh, discussion we could have here. I don't know whether you want to go off on a bit of a tangent, Paul, but uh, you know, what 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 what's what what to me is really interesting is it's actually it's 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 video on demand. It's it's watching what you want to watch when you want to watch it. That's interesting. Uh, you know, I think linear TV. Uh, there'll always be a time and a place for news reporting, live events for live sport for things like that. But but once once you're beyond that. You're saying you actually we're, we're going to end up in a position where you say right I just want to watch I want to sit down I want to watch this and I want to watch it now and uh, and that's it and that yeah I think that's very much the way know. it's going isn't it and and I mean Nate you've uh, you know you you found similar sorts of things with being able to access content on demand it really does change your your viewing habits 
uh, in terms of how you know how you operate in terms of sitting there having to watch ads all that sort of stuff it just you know you don't go back to watching uh, watching TV that way do you when you can you know if you can get something instant and on demand it's a much uh, much nicer way to operate right yeah it is and I, I think you know you've got that whole thing ingrained where as a kid you you folks settle down to watch the six o'clock news and now with things the services like TV you can record and watch so things are later on in the day and then with being able to watch uh, series as well, you're not locked down to say like a family guy's on 8.30 on a, a Sunday night. You don't have to watch it. You can watch it at lunchtime if you're homesick from work or um, on a, f- a Friday morning before you go to work or Friday evening. Like you, It really removes the, the tie-downs you have to the broadcaster dictating when you can see content and when you can watch particular things. Um, what do you think, Patty, with the... What's the, the sort of fallover... You know, if I can use the analogy of a tablet, Microsoft tried to launch the the tablet well before Apple did, but Apple just got it to a good form size, made it simple, just made it work. What do you think is going to be the fallover thing from saying to others, hey, look, have you heard about um, being able to stream video on demand? And then sort of looking at you, banging, going, oh, yeah, we are using it. We use it all the time. It's fantastic. And we're looking at moving away from the traditional um, broadcasting. What's that? What do you think that that pushover point is that it's an interesting question because i think there are a number of different ways you could you could actually answer it one one issue is the content so you need to have good compelling content no question another issue though is is about your addressable market so it's actually in our case it's sort of embedding an app on the relevant device so it's enough devices around the house um and then as i said it's also about getting those devices connected now with your with your games consoles and stuff i think that's pretty easy but but it's pretty interesting you know, if you look at the co- connectivity rates of the smart TVs, they're going, well, they're increasing all the time. And, uh, you know, it's really when people are, are picking up their remote control and pressing the Viera Tools button or the Smart Hub button or whatever it's called, the internet channel on the smart TV. Uh, and it's actually finding some compelling stuff within that. So I don't think QuickFlix is going to do that job by itself. But TVNZ are doing an app on, I think, on Samsung and there'll be others uh, on other different smart TVs and it's when actually all the catch-up guys come along as well and and that you just end up sort of driving people to connect their devices. Yeah I think that was one of our other um, uh, news items for this week was around that you know TVNZ are making that jump to having their uh, their their app and you know their streaming in more places so we're going to be able to go and get that you know I guess those free-to-air broadcasts to watch at whatever time sort of suits really yeah uh, and you know we've been able to do that through uh you know pcs in the past but that's now opening up uh to samsung tvs with you know tablets and 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 the like um so i think yeah that's probably something that's going to help move move the whole uh, uh picture along people are going to get used to doing that with the existing broadcast content yeah and then uh, the likes of quick flicks uh will just be a sort of a natural uh you know progression i suppose and look without wanting to uh for this to become too much of a quick fix promotion you know my feeling is that this is a uh you know it's a fundamentally better better choice to to be able to to be to be able to watch your watch what you want on different devices around the home at the same time so you know you could be watching your tablet in one place and you've got your games console somewhere else and your main tv's hooked up as well you just can't do that with a set-top box without rewiring your house well well, it's one of the challenges that you know probably anyone who's a guy subscriber has come across that you know you've either got this one box that you can uh you know view your your uh sky content on or you're paying an extra whatever it is 25 dollars a month if i recall uh correctly uh to add that sky box you know onto any other uh, onto any other tv so 
you know, it can add up pretty quickly to get that working. So this type of approach where we have a an app that's that's on your Xbox or on your TV makes a lot of sense. Now, um, Patty, one of the other challenges, and you know, this is something I'm sure you've you've heard about uh, before, is around the you know the content um, picture. And obviously, being quite new to the market, it takes time to sort of build up. Uh, you know those content deals, so that you've got a you know a broad selection of TV programs and movies and so on to um, uh, you know to be able to offer. Can you share with us a little bit about what some of the challenges are and and you know why we don't have a massive catalogue on QuickFlix at the moment of of content? Yeah, so look, I guess the first thing to say is that it, it it takes a bit of time. I'd ask everyone for a little bit of patience. Where you know we've concentrated on the on the technology, and uh, you know I think we've done a decent job of of rolling out on as many new devices as we can. Obviously, the the second limb to to uh, a successful service is, is is just having that that content that's compelling and so on. Now, it's worth explaining as well that we have there are two different elements to the QuickFlix service. One is the subscription side, so you pay fourteen ninety nine a month, and it, it's as much as you you want to watch from within the within our catalogue we've also got pay-per-view we call it paper play and uh, and we've got a range of about two over 200 movies now which are new release or near new release movies which the studios give to us uh, on a different basis they don't let us put it in with their subs- with the subscription content um, because it because it's new release mm-hmm. so um, so that goes into a separate uh, separate little area and that's the pay-per-view stuff um, now we've th- that side of things has increased rapidly uh, you know we've got the Avengers and spider-man and you know some, some, yeah. some great we, new, I mean we've seen some there. of that sort of stuff in the past you know Skyve had offerings to be able to get some you know on demand uh or you know there's movies sort of like that yeah uh we had uh tivo with its casper service which yeah. which unfortunately never got very far Bombed, very, didn't it? very very poor catalog so you know it's quite pleasing to see you know the the uh fresh sort of movie content that you were able to offer that way how does that work what does it cost to watch a movie so through through that um you know pay-per-view or pay-per-play yeah so model? the new release is a 6.99 which uh, i think is a basically a buck cheaper than the DVD store. Um, and obviously but you don't have to get off your... There's a convenience uh, factor there. Out of your seat. Yeah, you? right. So, <laughs> um, um, so that's that. I mean, you know, look, for some people, the DVD store experience is just going to be, uh, you know, going to be something that, that's difficult to replicate. Uh, they want to go around or look, walk around and, and, and pick up the cases off the, off the shelf and, and, you know, just sort of, you know, have that experience. But I think we're moving away from that. In the same way, uh, another interesting discussion is about um, downloading against streaming. So streaming is, you know, I think the way forwards. People are just moving away from the idea of needing to own things. Someone told me the other day the average DVD is watched 0.86 times or something like that, i.e. less than once, which to me is amazing. But actually, it's not that amazing when you think about it. People don't really mind about owning things. It's the same with Spotify on the music side. You know, if you've got a whole, if you've got every song you can think of just available to you, if you just pay your uh, monthly fee, well, you actually don't need to own it anymore. No, you don't need you the know. physical media. And I, I look at all the physical media I've got, and it's just sort of, you know, sitting there. It's uh, gathering uh, dust, you know, isn't it? Get, get gathering dust. Yeah. So, uh yeah, yep, no, I understand that. And, uh, um, you know, w- without sort of treading on too many toes, tell, I mean, what are the challenges in the New Zealand market specifically, uh, knowing that we've got, um, you know, we've got Sky and it's been talked about that, you know, Commerce Commission are, are sort of looking at how they operate. You know, it appears from an outside point of view that they've got a, 
Um, you know, they've got some, some you know, very nice arrangements sort of wrapped up, obviously around, you know, sports type things where we're not likely to see sort of those sports programs become, uh, you know, broadcast via, a, a, you know, a, or, a, you know, available in any other way for, you know, quick flicks or, you know, other people to pick up and stream sort of live sports. And that's probably not what you're going after. Um, but also they've got, you know, deals with the likes of HBO and, you know, and, and others. How does that sort of stuff impact is that something where we just need to sit and wait and over time uh, maybe some of the you know the deals that they might have in place are going to uh, you know change so that uh, so that you can get access to broader content or are there no issues in that space well no I, look I, th- I think they're right I want to be a little bit careful about what I say here the Commerce Commission is investigating they're investigating two things one is the um, exclusive deals that that Sky has with the movie studios uh, and the other is the uh, agreements that Sky has with the with the RSPs you know with the likes of Telecom and, and Voda and Telstra Clear and, and so on. Mm. So look, I don't want to preempt that investigation. Mm. That's ongoing. Um, so far, all we know is that the commission has found that there is a, you know, there, 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 I guess there's a case to answer because um, the investigation has been rumbling on for a, a while and I don't don't think there's an immediate end in sight. Mm. So, you know, I don't want to preempt, preempt things too much, but I mean, um, certainly there are challenges coming into any market when you're, when, when you're up against a, a big, uh, you know, a big incumbent player. I mean, 50% of pay TV household penetration is is pretty much unheard of around the world i mean you know you look at australia or the uk or wherever else you're sort of 30 40 percent 50 percent is it's it's extraordinary and um you know i mean i mean credit to sky in 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 some some ways but um you know it's it's just it's an interesting it's an interesting uh, uh market to operate in we can certainly say that much yeah well i mean i think it's been you know a, as consumers we often have frustrations around uh, I guess the stronghold that Sky have on the market, and you know their internet offerings, uh, you know certainly for most of the testing we've done have been reasonably, uh, you know reasonably disappointing, uh, and you know they're not, you know their internet offerings aren't available across a whole lot of things. Like if we look at Australia with say Foxtel, you know they've been available, uh, you know on the Xbox for quite some, you know some time, so that you know there's a bit more. Uh, broader access to to that content a little bit easier. Now you were, you mentioned earlier when we were sort of chatting before we started about um, the way in some of the other markets that the government has sort of um, I guess you know come into in, into play with with um, um, you know broadcasters of the likes of Sky but in, in, in other markets and um, you know have sort of put some regulation in place I, I guess around sort of uh, contracts and deals I mean what what do you see happening internationally and in, uh, in those sorts of agreements and how the government sort of gets gets involved with trying to uh, you know ensure that content is sort of uh, you know divvied up around uh, multiple providers yeah well I mean there are lots of lots of interesting um, things that happen in other markets that you know you could I guess make a case for bringing them into New Zealand but I don't think it's necessarily simple as that one thing so back back to the sport for a minute some other markets have uh, anti-siphon or some other countries have what's called anti-siphoning legislation which basically is uh, laws that that require uh, certain sporting events to be uh, to be broadcast on free to air uh, or if not broadcast at least offered to free to air broadcasters uh, you know in the first instance um, now some people would say that um, you know, no country's uh, pe- population are more deserving of free-to-air uh, rugby than uh, than this country's. Yeah, yeah. Um, but look, at the same time, I think that I don't I don't think that's necessarily realistic. Uh, that horse was probably bolted, and um, you know, and and Sky would say that they they pump an awful lot of money into the game, goes into grassroots and all the rest of it, and and that's that's important. So, uh, you know, I'm not certain that that anti-siphoning is necessarily the uh, the answer for for NZ, but um, you know, at the same time, you can certainly attribute Sky's 50% market share almost 
ex- or directly to 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 rugby. Um, so you know, I don't know. It's an interesting one. Um, and and as for the rest, well, as I say, that on the exclusive content arra- arrangements and so on, well, Commerce Commission is looking into that. So I I wouldn't want to preempt too much what they're what they're going to find. Right, but there are some interesting models in other in other countries around. Uh, you know the the amount of sort of ex- exclusive deals and so on that a that a particular broadcaster uh, can have. Would yeah, for sure. I mean, look, there there uh, I guess um, uh, the A Triple C in Australia has has, has um, requ- made certain requirements of Foxtel, for example, um, and in the UK, I think I, I, I'm not exactly sure what the position is with Sky in the UK, but but again, that you know, there's an independent regulator in the UK, Ofcom. So so things are, it's a different model again. Um, so, so I mean, look, it, it, it's it's interesting. Sometimes it's good to look overseas and to say, well, actually, maybe they're doing things better than we are here. Certainly, you know, in the, just to sort of uh, move away from this for, for for a minute, but but to talk about uh, convergence. I mean, you know, that some of the other markets around the world are, are recognizing there's you know the, the the obvious convergence between broadcasting and telecoms in a way that I don't think this this market really is. But you know, I I think that's that's just gonna it's gonna change because it it has to soon. Um, yeah, I mean, my my pick is that as we see. Uh, you know those data caps, which have been an issue, and we see you know this broadband speeds Im- improve, which we're seeing with the ultra-fast broadband, the you know the fibre optic internet connections that are starting to roll out to homes and businesses around the country. Uh, also, we're expecting to see um, the VDSL technology sort of become uh, more broadly available, faster. You know, it's much faster than the ADSL connections we have into our homes at the moment. Not as fast as the ultra-fast broadband, but sort of a nice sort of middle ground as people wait for that ultra-fast broadband to be available. And what we're hearing is we're likely to see, uh, you know, more players come into that space. And, you know, those things are going to uh, are going to help facilitate a- as, uh, you know, those uh, those larger data caps. And I think we just heard this week uh, that Vodafone are, uh, are bumping those on their... Um, um, Oh, I've forgotten the name of all their plans, but they they've got a, a typical sort of um, it's a uh, naked, naked naked broadband plan that's uh, you know provided uh, 60 gigs worth of data. I think that one started with offering 30, and then went to 45, went to 60, 60. and now it's bumping to 100. Uh, so you know, and I think I'm paying for that uh, you know $65 a month for that type of connection, which is quite reasonable uh, with 100 gigs worth of data. That's that's obviously um, you know. Uh, the sort of thing where you don't have to worry so much around downloading lots or, or streaming lots of video, right? So all of these yeah. things are going to play into, uh, um, you know, to help that sort of, you know, um, uh, change in, in, in habits and, and use of technologies like QuickFlix. Yeah, look, I think that's exactly right. And, um, you know, I think what, what we'll find is as, as, the, as people start watching more and more on demand, generally the on-demand stuff is delivered over the internet. As the internet speeds improve, the data caps, everything you're talking about, uh, coupled with the 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 apps, and and it's not just QuickFlix, but it'll be the it'll be the catch-up TV apps as well as they develop. People will be catching up on Shortland Street and who knows what, and 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 uh, you know I think it'll all just come together. Mm. Um, but we obviously need a sort of a, a regulatory environment that that you know addresses that and acknowledges that. Mm. Um, uh, you know, I'm not. I'm not necessarily saying that we need more regulation or less regulation. We just need a, a I guess, a system that that acknowledges what the, you know, what the what what environment we're operating in ultimately. Mm. All right. That Vodafone naked thing. Um, an f- interesting thing happened to be on the weekend. So I haven't been a Vodafone customer for probably maybe six months since swapping to a different ISP. They sent me the email saying, "Congratulations, your broadband's gone up." And then I thought, okay, well, obviously I've slipped through the cracks, and I'll try and unsubscribe. 
but you try to unsubscribe and you've got to tr- you have to log into the Vodafone website to unsubscribe with your and you can't log in because I'm no, no longer a customer no longer a customer That's a, so, so you don't have any other connections through a family member or any other no. one that could have got to you no so yeah, yeah. It's odd. I was like oh that's nice I'm glad yeah. that my old internet connection's gone up and now I can't get off the mailing list so. mm, mm. and um, I mean we've covered it in previous weeks but it's worth noting that you know that uh, you know Vodafone's is a, you know that that's a good offering in the market but there's a whole lot of others from you know telecom with yeah, you know, two two hundred uh, gig and five hundred gig offerings. We've got uh, you know unlimited uh, plans available now, so there really are a whole lot of options. So for those that are interested in this, uh, you know, streaming video, uh, have a little bit of a look around. There are some really good offerings in the in the market, uh, and and have a look obviously at the performance of the various providers because you want uh, good performance if you're going to be uh, uh, you know streaming video. Um, now, Paddy, that was one other thing was um, just worth mentioning around QuickFlix. At the moment, your content is in um, is SD content, but we would expect at some stage in the future that's going to bump up to um, to HD. Yeah, that's exactly right. So we're SD at the moment, and um, look, no immediate timetable on that. I mean, I think that there still is. It's nice to hear all the talk about rising data caps and 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 so on, but I mean, there's still a perception issue uh, out there. I would say not so much maybe with your listeners. Uh, Paul, but with with the general public that um, streaming content over the internet or downloading or, or however you want to want to go about getting it, um, that it just eats so much data that you know for some people it's just not it's just not 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 an option, and that's that's just not really true. Uh, so, for example, your average QuickFlix user uses about five gigs of data a month. Uh, that doesn't touch the sides of most of these internet plans that we're talking about at the moment. Mm. But um, but there is a perception issue that remains out there, and I think that that that'll be the final sort of final thing to fall. Uh, when everyone realizes that they have enough enough data and plenty of data and that actually content online isn't unless you're you know you are in hd 24 7 all the time uh otherwise i think you're going to be fine yeah shouldn't shouldn't be a problem okay and and just one one last plug um you guys have got um sort of a free uh trial sort of offer at the moment i saw something on xbox today how does how does that work yep so there's a free trial through xbox um uh, you just you just go to the website and sign up. It's quickfix.co.nz forward slash Xbox. You can get one month free and uh, you plug in your credentials to the QuickFlix app on Xbox and away you go. And will that month free work if you're not on Xbox? Well, maybe it will, Paul. <laughs> maybe it will, yeah. Okay. Those credentials might still work elsewhere, yeah. Excellent. Thank you for that tip. Uh, now, good stuff. Now, other things uh, we've been having a look at, uh, Windows, Windows Phone 8 actually just had their launch... Uh, here in New Zealand, uh, Microsoft, Telecom, Nokia, HTC, and Samsung were uh, were all together to um, uh, to do that launch. Now we've been it's been two years since Windows Phone Seven came onto the market, um, and and that time around it launched uh, Windows Phone Seven launched here in New Zealand first uh, with Vodafone actually, uh, but this time Telecom seemed to have sort of really taken the um, the lead on uh, on Windows Phone and launching with these three handsets. So they've got the uh, Lumia Nine Twenty. Uh, which we've been having a little bit of a play with here um, this evening. Quite a um, quite a solid device. It's actually sitting here on the uh, on the wireless charger, which is quite cool. Um, what did you, what do you think of this, uh, Pat? It's another big phone, and I know you like the sort of smaller devices. But what did you think of the hardware and the and the software and so on? Look, I think it looks great. I, I don't know I don't know as much about Windows Phone eight as I know about the other two operating systems. I've I've been on on iOS, and but I'm I'm originally an Android guy, and I'm back on the Samsung now. So um, look, I don't know as much as I as I perhaps should. I think that um, there's still an app shortage. 
a couple of apps that spring to mind are Instagram and Dropbox. I'm not sure that they're, that they're yet there on Windows Phone 8, but I suspect that they'll come. Uh, but that, look, that the, the handsets look great. Uh, the Nokia is heavy, but uh, it looks fantastic. Um, and I mean, I think you'd feel it in your back pocket. I'll say that much. But um, you do know, you keep your phone in your back pocket? I, I do. Normally. I'd be too scared to sit on yeah. it and, and uh, you know, maybe do some damage if I sat on the wrong thing. Or well, something. maybe. I, 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 I don't know where else you put it. If, if you wear a jacket, maybe in, you know, would you go through the lining in your jacket pocket? I don't know. Uh, look, it's a it's a heavy it's a heavy it's a heavy thing. But um, I, look, I think it looks great. Uh, the camera is apparently brilliant on the yeah, Nokia. Yeah, we, we actually um, the the. Um, uh, the telecom and Nokia guys had had set up at the event. They had a little uh, radio controlled car yeah. that they'd put a, a little phone holder on, and they were driving it around. And I, I attached the uh, the iPhone uh, five, five to it, and uh, and then we tried it with the uh, with the Lumia 920. And that's definitely the area where the where you know where the camera sort of stands out is its ability on that sort of anti shake on video. Um, I did some other tests compared to the iPhone 5 and found that the iPhone 5 was um, was better. So you know, just I think you know, it's it's one of those things where they've they have worked hard to try and sort of be right at the top in terms of quality. Um, yeah. yeah. And you know, I think at at that very high end, it is it's hard to have. I mean, I think it's probably impossible to have the best device in in every single area. Uh, but it, it's really really nice hardware. There's some great things about the software. Um, the big frustration for me is it appears as though podcasts aren't fully sort of uh well the podcast marketplace isn't supported outside of the u.s which seems crazy after uh, windows phone has been out for two years uh that they haven't worked out um you know worked through whatever their challenges are around um you know supporting uh supporting podcasts because uh you know it's not as though there should be a whole lot of sort of rights and and you know legal issues around making podcasts available uh to a global audience so that's a bit of a sort of head scratcher one for me. Mm, Paul, if anyone can get, get find their way through that, I think you're the man. Well, we um, I mean we have had links online to how to um, for Windows Phone users in the past how to get the po- uh, NZ Tech podcast. Um, but uh, for those of you upgrading, we may find a few of you dropping off if we don't work out how to uh, how to help you get the podcast. There are certainly some workarounds, but it uh, it just seems a little bit harder than what it should be. Um, so. Uh, we'll, we'll see once once we get you know once we get more time with them. Um, you know it's been good having a hands on with that uh, with the Lumia 920. Uh, that's launching into the market here on uh, on Friday at nine hundred ninety nine dollars. Uh, so if, you know for what it is, that seems to be a reasonable sort of price point. I think it's got uh, thirty two gigs worth of uh, storage, so that compares. Um, yeah, it comp- I think it compares. It's a sort of probably about the right price for the for the type of device it is. Uh, there's now there's also uh, two other devices that are uh, coming with Windows Phone 8 um, in the um, that have been announced. Um, HTC's Windows Phone 8s. Now that's actually a really nice sort of slick phone, more of the iPhone um, sort of size. Um, you know, much smaller phone, uh, a four inch uh, four inch screen, but it's a lower resolution screen. It's it's not a sort of Retina display type. Uh, um, you know detail. So this is a this is a, a mid ranger, and it? it's a mid range. Yeah, yeah four hundred ninety nine dollars. So um, you know, quite a tempting sort of you know price point for those who are wanting a smartphone, but maybe can't justify you know spending at that you know thousand to you know thirteen hundred and forty nine sort of range, which we see for the you know the top iPhone. Um, so yeah, I, th- I think it's actually quite a compelling um, compelling device, the ADS. So that's launching with uh, with Telecom, uh, I think, on the sixth of December, and we'll likely see Vodafone launch it on a on a f- on a similar date, if not the same day. 
and it looks uh, from it, what we're hearing it looks good i think i've had a or is it the yeah is, no it does look it lo- yeah. looks really nice yeah, really yeah, yeah. nice looking handset and i've used a number of htc handsets in the past been pretty happy uh i mean we've got the uh, htc one x here yeah uh w- w- you know which is this you know been their flagship sort of android handset and uh I mean, that's a really, really pretty nice piece of hardware too, right? Yeah. Can I ask you a question? This is just a sort of a, a, an ignorant question maybe, but um, on, on Android, HTC do have a skin on top, the Sense, Sense UI. Mm, is, that, mm. is there any way, do, they, can you, do these, are these guys putting a skin on Windows Phone 8 in any so way? That, and that's something where Microsoft sort of locked it down and said you, well, you can't sort of you know, mess with Windows Phone 8 to any great degree. They are allowed to put their own apps, so there are some, you know, some home screen you know, tiles and so on they can, they can put on there. Uh, and HTC does have one, which is a clock and, you know, other bits and pieces that can sort of update. Uh, but, you know, they're, they're fairly locked down, so they can't mess with the look and feel, or, or, you know, of what most users, I think, find is, a, is quite a nice sort of slick operating system. And it, I know it's been one of the, you know, big frustrations for people has been how much, uh, you know, the, the HTCs and Samsungs have sort of, you know, have tweaked Android in the past. I think that's actually improving now. We're seeing less of, you know, they're, they're being... Uh, you know, uh, less invasive with those uh, with those particular sort of customizations uh, now, and those sort of most recent handsets, which I think is is, is probably good for uh, for users, particularly if you want to move from one to another. You don't have to, you know, it's not a completely different system to learn. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, and and then there's the um, Samsung um, eight of um, S, which is um, Samsung's uh, variation on the Galaxy S3 that runs Windows Phone eight. Uh, that we were expecting that um, around now. We had a hands-on of, of a um, uh, pre-production unit a few weeks back, uh, but um, sadly we're hearing that could be um, could be pushed out as far as February at this stage. So um, yeah, quite a few months off really, uh, which which is a pity because uh, a, a really nice handset um, too. Yeah, I've never I've never seen it up front but the photos look good mm. so that one's coming in at 799 um the word from telecom is that over the next sort of 12 months we're likely to probably see at least half a dozen windows phones from them uh so that is a really big change in the past sort of windows phone was you know didn't really get a whole lot of attention from uh from carriers uh but w- what we're hearing is that that they're looking at the uh, the numbers coming from uh, you know Gartner and the, you know these various other uh, you know analyst uh, firms who are who are really thinking that Windows Phone is going to gain some uh, some you know fairly reasonable traction in the market over the next uh, you know year or two or three, and so they're making sure they've got an adequate number of uh, you know of handsets in the um, uh, you know coming into the market so they get their uh, their fair share of those sales. So um, that seems to be what we're seeing here. Um, so we will certainly talk a bit more about um, about that Lumia 920 and the, the HTC um, as we get to spend more more time uh, with those over over the next little while. But uh, definitely both really really nice hardware, some great software uh, uh, features. Uh, just just a little bit of um, a disappointment there around uh, around that podcast uh, support. Uh, and the other thing that I I've picked up online is apparently they've. Um, they no longer have an FM tuner in the um, in the Windows phones, which traditionally if, uh, uh, that was one of the differentiators was that all the Windows phones uh, you know allowed you to lift, listen to FM uh, FM radio. But apparently that uh, that app I don't know about the hardware capabilities, but the app is uh, seems to be missing from uh, from the new uh, the new handset. So interesting. Uh, now um, 
Another bit of uh, gadgetry that I've been playing with uh, recently is um, is a projector from Panasonic. Now we did a sort of a, a big roundup uh, last year, uh, probably around this time actually, late last year, looking at some of the new uh, HD uh, projectors that had come into the market, and we were seeing the really the first wave of of three of three um, D capable HD projectors, and we had a look at uh, Panasonic's offering. I think it was the AE seven thousand at that stage, uh, and an and an Epson offering. Now, when I when I look back at that, one of the things that sort of sticks in my mind is that you really needed to have a really um, a pretty dark room for 3D to work, and part of that is because with uh, with 3D you end up losing half of the half of the brightness because it's flicking. Uh, you know, you're seeing a bit with one eye and a bit with the other eye, sort of thing. Um, but this new uh, the AE8000 um, is a much brighter projector. I think it's uh, 24 or 2600 lumens, so it's uh, yeah, it's a whole chunk brighter, and it seems to uh, actually be be useful. You know, when there's a bit of light in the room and so on, you got a little bit of daylight coming in. You haven't managed to block it out entirely. Um, it's okay. Uh, I mean, certainly for the best results for that 3D stuff, um, a really you know a, a dark you know dedicated room for a projector is awesome. Uh, but yeah, I've, I've found that you, you actually don't need to go to these extre- those extremes with the new one. Uh, and I guess the other thing, um, and I don't know if you guys have used sort of projectors too much, but you know one of the things I, I like about the projector is it gives that sort of cinema uh, feel to it. Um, is yeah, these these projectors being HD, it just looks you know it looks stunning. And uh, most of what I would watch wouldn't be wouldn't be three D, uh, but it's nice to have that three D sort of capability thrown in and. Uh, um, that seems to be now becoming standard with these higher end uh, projectors. What sort of price are we talking uh, about? These ones are around five thousand. Um, so you know it's a reasonable investment. It's not but too bad. Uh, if you're setting up a you know a space in your home, a home cinema sort of you know area, uh, and you're going to go to that effort to get you know your your sound and all your other bits and pieces done, um, you know there's um, I, I guess there's. Uh, um, yeah, well, it's worth yeah, it's it's worth considering getting a, a good projector that's going to last you for a fairly long time. And you uh, could buy seven of them for the price of the uh, the four K TV. Well, that's true. You could, yeah. Uh, I'm sure that'll come down. So will these. Uh, uh, but yeah, it's it's nice uh, it's nice to see that brightness improved anyway because I think it makes the product uh, you know just a whole chunk more practical. Uh, there are certainly some lower priced offerings in in the market. The Epson was one of the ones that we mentioned. Um, I used an earlier model HD Epson. Um, projector and yeah, HD projected onto a onto a, a good screen or a nice sort of uh, you know appropriately painted wall. I think just look you know look stunning compared to uh, compared to a TV. Uh, but I think a lot of that comes down to personal preference. So um, yeah. Uh, now, killer robots. Uh, this was an interesting uh, r- interesting story that sort of uh, went uh, went around the world, and obviously we've seen lots of. Uh, um, lots of movies, the likes of uh, iRobot and, and other things, where we've seen these uh, crazy killer robots. But uh, um, we're we're starting to hear some um, some reports out of the uh, the US. There's uh, these the guys at uh, Human Rights Watch that are uh, that are warning if um, you know international sort of laws and so on aren't put in place, we could uh, we could soon get into a position uh, where there are. Um, I guess um, you know robots that can um, uh, control themselves and make decisions about uh, killing people. Uh, just a step further on, I guess, from those U.S. military drones that we see today. 
what do you guys think? Is this um, is this uh, uh, something we should be worried about, Nate? I mean, you know, we're seeing a lot of artificial intelligence come into computers, whether it's your uh, iPhone with Siri and you talk to it and, it and it figures out what it thinks you mean and what you want to do. Um, you know, there, there's an increasing level of, uh, you know, I guess, yeah, that, that intelligence being built into technological devices. Um, would would governments go as far to uh, have autonomous, um, you know, weapons that could go out and uh, uh, do this sort of stuff? I think it's inevitable that you get, you know, thinking warfare back from World War One, World War Two, where it's a lot closer in combat, where you know drones weren't even thought of back then. Um, I think, especially with warfare, that the legislation will be behind, so the the killer drones, if they will kill robots, will come in first, and then they'll legislate. To, to stop them um, and I think too who's saying that US military hasn't already got them you know we, we get technology thinking like GPS how long did it take for us to get GPS when the military was using it quite extensively well before um, it became sort of consumerized so I reckon yeah it's inevitable that we'll go there so it is quite a bit of a scary thought so but aren't there advantages, you know, of a, a fully autonomous robot that can, you know, decide for itself whether whether something should happen? There'd be some advantages of that, wouldn't there? On the, you know, if you think out on a on a on a battleground that could, uh, you know, could save some soldiers because uh, the the robot up ahead sees uh, an enemy combatant and uh, uh, takes them out before he can blow up, um, you know, some of the army. If, I mean, if you think of that in a, in a New Zealand situation in, in Afghanistan. Uh, you know, there's been those obviously, uh, you know, situations and you know, in, in pretty recent history, uh, where we where we've lost some really really good people, uh, and if we had one of these things that was able to go out there in a, you know in advance, a little bit further afield uh, than than the vehicles and that our guys were driving and a little bit ahead and could figure out what was happening, wouldn't that be good for us? It would be, but I'm not looking forward to the massive tax increases that would be required for us to get to our military up to that particular level. Hey, I, I think anything that saves lives is, is going to be a benefit, but I do think with advances that we would have, the enemy would have as well, so it becomes a bit of a tit-for-tat. So certainly it would be a, I think sci-fi starts to kick in here, and it's going to be an interesting um, arena to, to watch, say, in, over the next three or four years. Paul, in the meantime, presumably you could get your Nokia 920 and just put it on, uh, strap it on and, and drive it out there. Well, actually, I mean, that's a really, you know, jokes aside, that's a really interesting point is that, you know, if we don't have these technologies, there there will there will be you know in in certain areas there are, there are going to be terrorists that will use the technology uh, to do these things. And if they can send something out there to do a a nine eleven or a whatever it is, um, and and the technology can do it itself without causing any harm to their uh, you know members of their um, um, you know terrorist groups and so on, you can imagine that they're likely to use this technology. So. I guess that's part of why it makes this a really, really, um, um, you know, challenging, you know, space to sort of consider uh, because there are, there are, you know, just a, a hugely complex debate, I would think. Yeah, look, there are some serious um, ethical questions and all, all sorts of things. And, and Nate just mentioned a bit about the the, the, the legal side of thing, things, the laws and, and so on. What, what, what we, um, it's just an inevitable thing about technology that, that invariably the, um, the legislation you know, plays catch up with with the actual technological developments. Ultimately, you you can't have people whoever's writing the the laws just 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 pitching ahead ten years and saying this is where we're going to be. Uh, you've got three techies, or in my case, maybe a wannabe techie in the in the room here, and we don't know where we're going to be. So, uh, you know, look, it's pretty tough. 
Yeah, it is. It's it's a challenge, but I think you know it's good to see that there's some debate going on and and that these things are being raised uh, now, and you know hopefully we can uh, we can avoid some catastrophe. But uh, yeah, I think the challenge is you just can't control how uh, how people will use the technology, and we're seeing things such as you know the Connect sensor and the Connect cameras, uh, you know all sorts of bits and pieces. You you tie a few of these technologies together, and um, you know probably the the three of us in this room. Um, would have the skills to actually build, um, you know, one of these devices, um, and we're not putting that out there for uh, the police or anyone to come after us. But you know, the the reality is there's so many off-the-shelf technologies um, that you could probably build something to, uh, uh, you know, you could build a killing machine to get out there. And here's another question: What if if actually you're in a position where uh, you can build some some mechanical or robot-type devices and and therefore uh, effectively not endanger? human lives that that on the face of it sounds good but isn't the doesn't it follow from that that you you might become more aggressive because you you're not endangering human lives yeah i mean that's a distinct possibility isn't it and from there well hold on you're attacking uh so whoever's defending is you're potentially endangering their human lives instead yeah who knows so there's i think yeah i think it's a it's a huge can of worms um, so um, we, w- we won't delve do- too deep into that, but it uh, might be something for a discussion on another day. Can, uh, I, um, can I briefly touch on, did you guys hear about the thing about technology and war, about the mix-up the Taliban had uh, this week, or is it the end of last week with the email they sent out? So they, they've got, a, a, a P, obviously, PR guys because they're a well-oiled uh, and engineered machine, and what they were doing is they would BCC um, announcements about what they'd, what they'd done out. Anyway, the inevitable happened and they dropped everyone in the two field and sent it out. So now whoever else is on this list has got all 500 names of everyone that receives these briefs. So it's, isn't it amazing how you think something so sensitive, you'd think they would have it all sorted, but no. They have a smarter way of handling it. Well, each no. one should go out individually rather than a BCC anyway. But uh, So it happens to the best of us, it seems. Um, okay, well, I, I won't I won't comment on, on who, who, who's the best in this situation, but uh, uh, yeah, that's an interesting one, Nate. Uh, now, other technology that we've been playing around with, um, Ford finally launched um, the Ford Sync technology into the New Zealand market. Now, this is the um, the technology that's um, uh, been uh, developed by Microsoft, and in the US, I think is pretty much in every single uh, Ford um, Ford vehicle on the market there now. Uh, but we're just seeing that come uh, uh, come into New Zealand with uh, with the Ford uh, Ford Focus. Uh, so we've been having a play around with that over the last uh, last couple of weeks. Um, and yeah, th- this is, this is really interesting to see that we're now seeing um, you know this technology which is is so fast moving land in vehicles, and of course. You know, we don't think of our vehicles as sort of being really technological and 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 fast-moving devices. Certainly, you know, it can be a pressure to have to, or it can be expensive to say replace a smartphone once a year. Um, but is this a step too far for us to have all this, you know, this technology in our in our car? So uh, in in two years' time, maybe our car's going to be uh, out of date, and we need to replace it because the the technology is not current. Or do a firmware upgrade on it by putting in a USB stick. I remember the first time I changed the software on my Samsung TV. I was amazed at, at how far TVs have come. Um, again, I think with the discussions we had around warfare, this is inevitable. Cars are going to get smarter. And um, I remember on the podcast, was it a few months ago, where we had the, the mechanic on from one of the um, sort of premier car brands. Um, and he was talking about how 
being a mechanic now as opposed to maybe 10 years ago where you plug it in and the car pretty pretty much diagnoses um, itself and there's a lot you know you're moving more from being just a, a mechanic to also being sort of a, a mechanic and a slash IT person um, I don't know a lot about the the Ford sync stuff but I think it is inevitable that you are going to get um, more technology and, and you know how you're talking Patty before about Spotify I'm finding now that I, I don't listen to the the USB stick in my car, I'm purely using my phone with Bluetooth and Spotify in offline mode and I've subscribed to a couple of the different public um, playlists and that's pretty much how I get my audio. I don't listen to any radio, I don't do any, don't copy any MP3s off to um, the MP3 stick because that was annoying. I set up my playlist on my desktop, my phone just magically syncs and when I jump to the car, away we go. Yeah, it's certainly getting a, it's getting a whole lot easier, isn't it? And I think... Yeah, for me, what, what stood out about Ford Sync is that it does really, it ties in really nicely to your smartphone, whatever you're doing there. Um, you've also got that the voice control lets you um, even take care of the climate control. So I think it's all about, you know, from their perspective, it's all about, uh, you know, safety, um, delivering a bit more functionality compared to probably what other vehicles are doing. One of the areas I wasn't able to get any um, any answers on yet, though, is running apps on the car. So they're, they're talking in the US about... Uh, the car becoming an app app platform, uh, you know, in the same way Android and iOS and Windows Phone is. Um, is that is that of interest, or do you think the smartphone's the place where we should run our apps? I think one of the things I would love to have in my car is the ability to have the con- control panel, and I think I've said this before, have the control panel customizable, where you could actually move the say the speedo and the tachometer and swap sides or put one of the speedo in the middle or put the fuel gauge bigger or instead of having an analog where it's got a you want to hack your car don't you know i do that's you that's your programmer hat you uh, you just want to go in there and change everything to be your yeah, way yeah I, I want i want the the screen when my song changes it flashes up on the right hand side and then eventually blue screens and i've got no idea how fast i'm going um i would love the i'm sure the ability will come but i think yeah i i would like the apps in the car and be nice if they had SDK software development kits so that programmers like myself could actually, you know, hack and modify cars. That'd be fantastic. Well, I think I think that's part of what they're doing with um, with Sync. As I say, I don't know what's happening in the New Zealand market, but they're, you know they're opening up those sort of APIs and ways that you can develop uh, develop things for for the car. Patty, what do you use in your car? You got Bluetooth? Have you? What, how do you? What yeah, sort of technology have so you got in I, place? Yeah, a bit of Bluetooth and just a line in, yeah. a, a simple line in for my, my MP3. I've got some music on my phone. I have got an iPod and. Uh, just, just that's what that's all I do. It's not, it's not too, not too radical. I confess. So, um, mm. yeah, I'm not sure. I see limited mileage here. It's a bit like we were again. We were talking earlier. Sorry to just jump around, but we were talking before we started about um, about Facebook and Twitter and things on, on the on the TV. And it's the same sort of thing. I'm not sure. Uh, I'm not sure what's what's what here. If we start sort of mixing and matching too much, I'm not sure if we just end up with sort of unsatisfactory experiences across the board. I, I'm not sure. Yeah, well, I mean, that, and that's one of the thoughts that's crossed my mind around having this sort of technology is we know that the technology in our smartphones and, and other areas is, is moving at an accelerating pace. And so, you know, that's likely to create some probably challenges for car manufacturers, uh, you know, to, to deliver really good results. And, you know, I think it'd be, it'd be really maddening if you bought a car 12 months later uh, and every 12 months later, there's a new iteration that, you know, obliterates the technology that was in the previous one. Uh, from what I'm aware of at the moment, Ford Sync seems to get sort of software updates and so on. So you can actually, you know, start with a play. You don't necessarily have to have the, you know, the, you know, once you're on that platform, you don't necessarily have to have 
you know, that year's model for that year's features. Uh, so I certainly hope that that's the sort of the direction that they keep going, uh, you know, stays that way, that you can take advantage of those features without, uh, uh, you know, <laughs> having to buy a new vehicle uh, because, you know, there are, it's just not practical. You know, there'll be very few people that would be in any sort of position to be buying a new, uh, you know, vehicle uh, every year. And, yeah, just it doesn't add up, although I'm sure, um, you know, the... Uh, the automakers would be uh, more than happy if we started, uh, you know, buying twice as many new cars. I don't know if you pay much attention to the ads on your Roku, but every time I watch Hulu or Netflix and they have the ads, well, actually, no, Netflix doesn't have ads, but Hulu Plus, when they show, you know, the brand new 2012, 2013 cars for, and you could buy them for 20 grand or 22 grand or lease them for, because I got an advertisement from Kia today and it was ridiculously expensive. I was, every time I see the ads, I think, oh, the cars are so cheap. In the US market. Compared yeah, relative to, you know, what we pay here. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it, with the, uh, yeah, with all the, the costs, whether it's, a, you know, uh, transport, whether it's a taxes, I don't know where it all adds up, but, uh, yeah, we do seem to pay a, a fair premium for our vehicles. Uh, that said, there's other, you know, countries I've been in, places like Singapore and so on, where, you know, we're driving a car is, you know, is really not the, you know, not the norm because it's, it's, it's so much more expensive to here. Uh, and you can see in their sort of situation, um, you know, that, that's uh, ensured that people are using the public transport system. So, you know, there's some there's some flip side to these things. But, uh, you know, I'm uh, uh, one where uh, the public transport system doesn't quite fit with where I live and where I work and, and, and uh, you know, and, and my lifestyle. I think a lot of us in this country are... Uh, um, you know, uh, are in that position where we we would uh, yeah prefer to have our own um, our own vehicle or two or or or, or more to uh, uh, have available. So it's amazing how society dictates it. I, and this is quite a random thing to go off on, but um, I mean, I was in Christchurch before a few years ago before the earthquakes hit, and we did a with some friends did a bit of a bicycle tour around Christchurch, and we we're just chatting to them, and they were saying people from the Asian countries, they get very few people doing the bicycle tours. And we said, well, that's a bit strange. Why not? And they said, well, because they use it as a mode of transport. And their sort of thinking is, why would you ride a bike around the um, the city looking at all the sites when they use it at home to get from A to B? It, they, it just made no sense in their minds to use it as a sort of a leisure activity. Whereas for us, it might be more of a gimmick or, or yeah. as you say, a, le- a, a leisure activity. It was anyway, a great so. way to see Christchurch and sort of get all the, the, the places yeah. that you wouldn't see off the, um, off the bend track. So, Yep. Um, now, just about uh, wrapping up, um, one of the um, one of the last things we did want to report back on. This is something we were uh, we were having a look at uh, uh, on the um, uh, the Ultrabook um, earlier. Was uh, we talked last week about using um, uh, HP Ultrabook uh, Windows 8 and Netgear's uh, Wi-Fi adapter. Now, what we do know, this is based on the Intel um, the Inf- Intel WiDi technology. Uh, is that this stuff is still very, very new for Windows 8. So, um, But what we have found is there seem to be some reliability issues with it, and we're not sure whether it in, Intel's at fault, uh, whether it's something with Netgear's uh, Wi-Di adapter. Um, but we just, I just wanted to, I guess, uh, let listeners know, because I talked about it last week, about how cool it was um, to mention that um, at the moment it's not as reliable as it should be. And when we tried earlier, actually, we were having problems getting it to work. And I have had other situations where it'll take two or three uh, sometimes even four goes uh, of trying to uh, take basically mirror what's on my um, on my ultrabook screen onto my TV screen. Um, so the function when it's working is really fantastic, um, but there does seem to be a little bit of um, a uh, a connection problem that comes up sometimes. So 
something to look out for if you're uh, if you're wanting that functionality. Just be aware um, that it, it could probably do with a little bit of uh, improvement in this n- initial release. Uh, Nate, you've been playing with the uh, Microsoft uh, Surface there this evening. <laughs> What's uh, been distracted? Um, yeah, ha- how do you like it? Well, I was I was just as I was saying before we started, I was in the states for work about three weeks ago, just traveling around with my um, Galaxy Tab. And I found, especially in the airports, that I really needed something that I could throw a quick email off. Um, Wi-Fi, free Wi-Fi in the States is incredible. Everywhere's got free Wi-Fi. Like I, I had planned, I was over the 10 days, I planned to get a, a SIM card, but didn't end up doing it because I was able to use VoIP for my phone calls and um, just plentiful amounts of Wi-Fi everywhere. Um, so yeah, the, the Surface device, and being a you know, three-bit company I work for, we were a, a predominantly Microsoft shop for development. So having something like the Surface would work really, really well. So yeah, I'm trying to persuade my business partner that we get a couple for Christmas presents, and I loved playing with this one for over the last sort of hour or so we've been recording. It's um, I suppose my one thing is it's I find it's a little bit heavy. That's my only little pet peeve if I was going to pick on one particular thing. Yeah, I think I mean it's interesting because it comes in pretty similar weight to um, you know, to the iPad. Um, and and similar types of devices. Maybe I'm just sport with the Samsung sort of build it a bit cheaper and it's ridiculously light. Maybe I've just been sport by that. Because I know I know my Galaxy Tab's nowhere near this heavy. Interesting. All right. But um, no. So you got a ten? You got a ten point one? Yeah, I have. And yeah. um, the, the the keyboard I was a bit little bit worried about with it being sort of a it looks quite flimsy on the um on the video you watch online being as part of the uh, the cover yeah, and yeah. It, but no it's fine I was just typing on it before and it works really really well but I'd like to have a bit of a play with the tactical one where it actually responds but um, and having it part of the cover is great and I know it's, it, or, I don't know if this is on purpose but I'm, uh, when you close it and open it it tends to turn on and off mm, mm. see little things eh little things little things yep well there are others that have done these things uh, some, many of these things before them um, and th- I guess that's one of Microsoft's advantage sort of you know coming late to this market they're able to look at all the best things that other people have done and say, yeah, that's good. We'll do that. Oh, we quite I mean, like that. That's you, pretty cool. You want to be careful with all these patterns out there, don't you? Well, they've all got <laughs> so many. And uh, I know Apple and Microsoft have sort of got, you know, cross-licensing uh, uh, sort of deals in place. So, uh, you know, I think they can probably use each other's uh, without without too many, uh, you know, dramas because of contracts that they've signed in the past. Because uh, that's one of the best things about the iPad for me is that it's the little magnets there, mm. you know, and that little cover that just... just, just uh, yeah. yeah. Well, I've been, I have to admit, I have been quietly trying to get the case to not click into the base, but it doesn't seem it, to... It's really good, isn't it? Just it's really, clicks. really consistent. Um, one of the things that's worth pointing out about the keyboard on, um, on the Surface, and of course I have to mention this isn't available publicly in New Zealand yet, you've got to you know, uh, source them out of the US at the moment until we get a release. But the nice thing about that compared to um, other tablets that I've used where you add a keyboard on is because it clicks in and it's it's designed as an integral part of the um, of the device, you don't have to have separate power for your keyboard and you're not going to have to recharge or have, you know, a battery issue with a keyboard because it clicks in and it's actually fully powered by the uh, by the tablet hmm. um, and actually you know it's just another thing that you don't have to worry about it's it's enough of annoyance having to remember to charge your um, your, your tablet without having to remember to charge a keyboard or something as well so uh, I wonder if, I wonder if that's a, sorry I wonder if that's a hat tip to the original because my partner's got one of the original Kindles and the cover she got has got a light on it and that plugs into the Kindle so you don't end up having to charge your cover to have the light to be able to read at night and the Kindle just all powers off and I thought such a simple thing but it makes a huge difference not having to have two charges and two things to remember to charge. Mm. No, it definitely helps. Um, 
yeah, pretty cool device over, overall. Uh, but I think there'll be, you know, there'll be a number of other Windows RT devices that'll come into the market locally, and we, you know, we're really still waiting for most of those things to come through. Uh, and you know, but at that sort of, um, uh, you know, smaller, lighter device, uh, yeah, it's pretty, pretty impressive, um, you know, piece of hardware. All right, well, that uh, I think that wraps us up for uh, for for this week. So uh, thank you everyone for uh, for listening in. We will again uh, be back next week for episode uh, episode one hundred. I can't believe that we're uh, we're going to reach that number. Um, I remember right at the beginning, uh, something that we heard was that most podcasts never make it to I think ten or or, or fifteen episodes. They tend to peter out pretty quickly. Um, so thanks to all our listeners for uh, for your support for getting us to ninety nine. Um, hopefully we'll be back next week and we'll make it to uh, we'll make it to a hundred. Um, thanks, Nate, and thanks, Patty, for uh, for joining in. Now, uh, if uh, if listeners want to uh, track you down online, um, Patty, what's your Twitter handle? Yeah, I'm at Patty Buckley. Nice and easy. Nice and easy. Nate's is easier though. <laughs> yeah, mine's a little greedy. Mine's just Nate, and if you want to read um, my blog, it's probably easy just to go to geekzone.co.nz and. My blog's every now and then off that, so. As, as do I. Um, and you can also track me down, uh, just again, like, like Paddy's, just my name, um, at Paul Spain on, uh, on Twitter. Uh, and, uh, yeah, you can, find, um, you can find my Tech Jungle blog there off, uh, off Geek Zone. Um, yeah, so that's us. Thanks, guys. See ya. <laughs>